You know what I have a problem with, Howard? I can only imagine. <laughs> I've got a lot of problems. Um, 4K video is out. Out. It's you mean not like available, but like 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 so last century. Like has jumped the shark, <laughs> kind of out. And I, <laughs> we we just got used to 4K. Um, but anyway, let's get into this stuff. It is the 18th episode. The 18th, correct? It is number 18, yeah. Of the We Geeks podcast. We're almost at 20. This is crazy. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. Um, WeGeeksPodcast.com is the site. Uh, and you can follow Howard and I on Twitter. I'm at Tutvid, and Howard is at Iceflow Studios. And And we are also on all the podcasting platforms. We are on SoundCloud, which you can find at soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. We are on iTunes. I'm not even going to bother with that URL because it's like crazy long and weird. Um, But if you do go to soundcloud.com slash wegeeks, there is a link to the iTunes podcast there. You can subscribe and all that fun stuff. Or if you just prefer SoundCloud, you can actually comment along as we're talking about all the fun things we're going to talk about. We're also on Stitcher. I don't think anyone uses Stitcher, but we're on Stitcher. And we are also on Patreon. And every single week, we do give a shout out to all of our supporters on Patreon. Yes, we do. Who helps, makes this show possible. And this week, we have Jordan, Michael, Genevieve, Caleb, and possibly Valdez. His payment has been having some issues, but we'll just give him a little bit of a shout out just to maybe give him a bit of a nudge to check that payment again. But thank you so much to all of our patrons. Head over to patreon.com slash wegeeks. If you do love our show and you want to support us, we do give shout outs every single week. And if you are one of a higher, the higher paying patrons, we do have a few other perks here and there. Yeah, no. And then, yeah, no, everyone through, uh, Patreon is super cool. Um, and also, as usual, you can check out any of the links, any of the articles, any of the things we talk about on the podcast. Tutvid.com slash WeGeeks slash episode 18. And that's the number 18. Indeed. So 8K, you were, I mean, sorry, before I just jumped the gun. You were talking about 4K a few minutes ago yeah. before we started. And you mentioned that 4K is out. Yeah, we just, did we not just get used to 4K video? I mean... Most people don't even have the capability of watching 4K footage, and all of a sudden, YouTube is, well, I mean, it's probably not YouTube. I mean, well, it is kind of YouTube. YouTube just made the, uh, they just made it possible to watch 8K footage on YouTube. Yes, Ghost Towns in 8K. That's the name of the video, right? Ghost Towns in 8K, I think is the first. Something like that. I, I tried to watch it. I mean, I have a 4K monitor. I have a Mac Pro, and obviously, I can't experience the 8k footage because i have nothing to watch it on yeah but yeah i mean even with my mac pro and my 4k monitor my my system was not having it yeah i i tuned it up to 8k right away um and it played somewhat (laughs) intermittently is how i would describe it i like that it it played it just wasn't necessarily smooth and i ticked it down to 4k and it was cream you know what i mean so it yeah it's there it's really cool Um, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was an 8K television that I checked out at Photo Plus Expo back in October of 2013. It was huge. It was like 80, 85 inches. It hung in this frame. It was like 80 something thousand dollars, ridiculously expensive. That's it? But the photo, (laughs) it, yeah, it was, 
more realistic looking than looking out a window. It was like that first time you see HD video all over again. And I am almost certain it wasn't 4K, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it was 8K because I remember hearing about 8K before I even heard about 4K, which I'd heard about 4K before I heard about 2.5 or 2.7K, whatever people are calling it. Um, but yeah, super duper cool stuff by YouTube. Um, and the link will be over in the blog post uh, on tutvid.com. So you can check this link out, check the video out on YouTube um, and just see it. It's really cool to bring up the quality drop down and just see all these options. I remember when it was like, 240p and 360p oh and then there was gosh. the hq setting that took it up to like 480p and then when the youtube first brought in 720p hd i remember i was thinking man am i gonna really go widescreen hd that's stupid i'm not gonna do it but then youtube would put the little hd you know graphic next to your videos if you had hd videos so i was like well i mean obviously i have to do it because those videos are getting more views um and to your credit i think you adopted hd video before i did um but you've always been one to jump on new technologies and i, I usually sit back and wait a little bit um, <laughs> you know what's funny what it's funny you mentioned that because i was actually doing some cleanup in my email today because I was um, I was trying to figure out there was this issue with my email service. It was like pulling some email account that I've had many many years ago. So I was going through to see maybe like there was some stuff in the junk or some, whatever it was. And I actually found the first communications between you and I. I emailed you about hosting some of your videos on Tutcast. I think back in the day or something like that. And you responded, hey, Howard, I've seen you around YouTube. I, I would really have to think about the tutorial thing. I do have some copies of all of my videos in 640 by 480. Ooh, but I'm see, in the process was, of setting up blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I so, only yeah. worked with the good stuff. <laughs> 640 by 480. Yeah, this whole 8K thing is kind of crazy. Um, by the way, if you're watching the 8K video, only watch it for a second or two because I highly doubt you have an 8K monitor unless you're like one of... I don't, there's probably like two 8K monitors Bill Gates in the world. Son probably has one. Yeah, you might fry your graphics card if you try that. Um, but it's crazy. Most people don't even have 4K monitors. And like mm. you were saying before about seeing it for the first time, I remember seeing a 4K monitor. I think it was at Photoshop World, and RC from Kelby One showed me the 4K Samsung monitor. Actually, it's one of the ones that I have now. And just seeing that video on it, it was like, oh my God, this looks incredible how sharp it is and how almost lifelike it looks. I can just like reach through the screen and grab it. And that's what sold me on the monitor I'm using now. I can't even imagine what 8K is going to be like once we all have it in our in our living rooms. Right. I mean, we don't have a lot of cameras that shoot 8K. I know, uh, <laughs> I believe Red is coming out or just came out with a camera. I think it's called the Weapon or Weapon, something like that. Ooh, they're it's, always ahead of the it game. It starts at like 40 grand for oh, essentially essentially for the camera chip you need to add everything to it oh my um you know it's not just the chip but basically it is but i mean an 8k 8k is four times this the screen real estate if you are or four times the resolution i guess really of 4k because you're you know you're stacking up top and to the side so you really be the equivalent of four 4k pieces of media being thrown at you at once um really really uh, just really cool i don't know cool to see youtube at the forefront of that um i know facebook video is really trying to step up their game right now they only have the hd on or off option it'll be mm -hmm. really great to see what they do quality wise um because i don't know actually i just put a, a video up on facebook today and i still haven't even gone and looked at the stats how many people have viewed it but it seems like native videos on facebook do way way better 
than if you try to link a YouTube video or certainly if you try to link out to uh, the, a video, let's say on a blog post or something like that. So oh, 100%. And we've done a lot of tests at full screen uh, to see what, what our creators should post on Facebook other than YouTube and all this stuff. And without a doubt, it is much more beneficial to post your video natively on Facebook because obviously their algorithm is favoring this sort of thing. So if you're looking for views, if you're looking to drive traffic elsewhere, post a video natively mm -hmm. and you know make sure to link back to whatever content you want seen. Yeah, 100% agree. So moving on from that, still in kind of the, the video vein, I might be way off base here, the video response feature on Twitter, is that a new thing or is that something that's been there for a while? It is, yeah. On the app, you can post like, I think it's 30 second videos directly from the app. Um, there is another aspect of Twitter video. I think it's like video.twitter.com or twitter.com slash video or something, which is only available to verified members right now. Apparently that's going to roll out over time and that will allow people to upload very similar to Facebook where you can upload native videos. You'll eventually be able to do that. But yeah, there is a, a very short video feature within the app right now. Yeah, because I was hunting around and I discovered it yesterday evening slash this morning. Um, and I started playing around with it and I kind of like it. It's pretty cool. It's just a very simple, you know, press and hold and, you know, sort of quickly respond to tweets or anything like that if you so choose via video instead of just 140 characters. When 140 characters just ain't enough. Uh, but anyway, Twitter CEO steps down today, Dick Costolo, I believe his name, Costolo, however you want to say it, uh, step, step down, he's out, much like 4K video, Dickie C is out. Yeah, I saw this news earlier today about Twitter's CEO, I think, like, what was it, it was Dick, what, what was the name uh, you Dick said? Dick Costolo. Costolo. Yes. He uh, apparently stepped down, I think all Twitter employees, for the most part, liked him, uh, I'm not sure exactly what was going on internally, you know, within the politics of Twitter, but Jack... Dorsey, Something or other. I believe his last name is Dorsey, is Dorsey. Dorsey. Jack Dorth Dorsey is back. Jack is back. He w was Twitter CEO or one of the founders or something. And uh, he went to Square for a while and started running that. And now he's back in the hot seat, at least intermittently. I don't know if he's going to stay there, but he's back for now at Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, not that we have a ton of things to talk about as far as Twitter is concerned, but Twitter has been the interesting social network in that it really hasn't changed a huge, huge amount. Um, they have the promoted tweets now. Obviously, the, the web UI has changed. The way it works has changed a very little bit, but it hasn't ballooned up like Facebook. It hasn't turned into this giant, you know, all-seeing everything, does everything, will be everything, is everything uh, entity that is Facebook. So it's really an interesting uh, case study, I guess, of a social network. It is, and yeah, it's still 140 characters. Actually, I think it was today or yesterday, they announced that in direct messages, they're actually going to be removing that 140 character limit. So if you're directly messaging somebody, you'll be able to just go on and on and on forever. 145 yeah. characters, maybe. <laughs> they might. That's a big change for them. But yeah, it's it really hasn't changed much, but it has exploded over the last few years. I remember when I first started on Twitter, I think it was 2007, it was basically just me and a bunch of YouTubers, really, yeah. and people who had no idea. And then, of course, you know, one celebrity got on it, another celebrity got on it, and now it's pretty much, like, you can literally talk to celebrities. Of course, not all of them communicate with people, but there's a lot of people you can actually get responses from that are A-list celebrities. Mm -hmm. You can never do that five, ten years ago. It's just crazy how this social network thing is 
exploding. Yeah, Twitter, definitely a game changer. But on to Instagram. Instagram uh, just released a new web UI this week. Pretty clean. And it is sexy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clean. It's pretty... Uh, pretty pretty i don't know how else to put it it's kind of i mean i i just have here in my notes that it's everything that this modern new web design is it's flat it's responsive it's got big graphics it's super simple um and it i don't know it, it's it's very different than it was before and we talk about apple getting rid of all the skeuomorphic graphics anything that's unnecessary in the graphic realm uh they've certainly done that or, or at least a huge amount of that i would say graphically it's scaled down at least 80%. And there wasn't much in the way of graphics there before. But it's very flat. It's very clean. It's very open. I kind of dig it. I, lo- I love it. I, I found it. I think I heard about it the day it came out. And it took a while to roll out to everybody. But it did roll out pretty quickly. And it is, you know, very clean, very sharp. The only thing that bothers me is if you click on a picture and it's a picture with a bunch of comments, the the comment from the original poster blends in with the comments from likers and all that stuff just random people who view the photos that kind of bothers me i just wish wish there was a little bit of a separation Mm -hmm. so you can see what the original poster posted and what everyone else is commenting but that's something very small and nitpicky but other than that it's it's a gorgeous update yeah i've I've seen some stuff too that says it's very uh it's heading in a direction to be very e-commerce friendly that there's gonna be sort of buy buttons both Mm. uh built into Instagram and Pinterest, I believe, is something else that yes, I saw. Yes, I heard that. Um, but I have seen, I did see them demoing, I think it was with like Tiffany Jewelry or one of these swanky high-end companies, um, like photo sets where you swipe to the side and you get multiple photos in one post. Like there would be mm. five photos in one post and you would like it sort of as a group. It was kind of cool. It was kind of an interesting idea um, for me, like from a tutorial making standpoint, kind of cool because you could sort of do a little five-step drop, you know, tutorials, uh, which is kind of neat. But yeah, definitely check it out. Instagram's new layout, super cool. There still is no ability to upload and update right there on the site, which I kind of wish was, there was. I was kind of about to bring that up because I was wondering if they're going to allow you to upload higher quality photos because right now you can pretty much only up upload photos from your mobile phone and those are pretty high quality but when you do upload they are compressed quite a bit if you view those photos on instagram.com they're not the highest quality and of course obviously phones are becoming much more efficient in taking Mm -hmm. high quality photos then of course we have all these dslr cameras i would love to take you know high quality photos with my dslr and then upload that straight to youtube or sorry not youtube to uh instagram that's the one yeah um you know and, and speaking of high quality cameras and all that fun stuff we have quite a bit of camera news this week do you want to kick off this new crazy leica yeah the leica q uh, is a new full-frame fixed-lens camera that Leica has announced, or I believe they have actually out and out launched it. You can get it on B&H now. Um, Leica, as you know, iconic brand. They're actually fairly well-known within the photography community, digital photography community, that is, for being pretty stinking expensive oh i would say gosh, is yeah. is one of the things that they're quite well known for if you if you've got a leica you know you paid a lot of money for it or if that guy's got a leica you know that he paid a lot of money for it so this is called the leica q that's just the letter q it's full frame sensor like i said um it looks like this is a camera basically targeting street photographers um or a camera that like a, a leica pro would use as a backup to the leica m series which is i guess the you know, like the flagship the main the the grand Poo- 
poobah of the Leicas. Um, so a very simple, very strong, very uh, usable camera. Um, something I think that will appeal to street photographers in general and even the prosumers uh, who have a little bit of money. Now, it really isn't as expensive. I looked at it and immediately said $6,999. Uh, we'll, I'll get to the price in a second. That's not what it costs. And I was a little surprised. Uh, not that it's cheap, but it's not that much. 24 megapixel CMOS full frame sensor. So this is now the only, I believe, if my, if my facts are correct, the only full frame fixed lens camera on the market other than the Sony RX1. Uh, and what I mean by fixed lens is it has a Leica Summilux 28mm f1.7 ASPH lens. So it's just a fixed lens. You can't put multiple lenses on it, you know, to mm. change the lens, uh, which is great. I mean, there's, you know, there's plenty of cameras. It's it's sim it's simple. It's light. You know what you're working with. Your focal length is the same. Uh, that's what it is. Um, it also has the Leica Maestro 2 image processor, uh, 3.68 megapixel LCOS electronic viewfinder, which I believe is also a new feature for the Leica, but there are other um, cameras out there with electronic viewfinders. It's got a three-inch uh, 1,040K dot touchscreen LCD monitor. Touchscreen, I guess, is a nice touch, but, you know, it's eh, whatever. Uh, contrast detect autofocus system. Full HD 1080p video at up to 60 frames per second. ISO 50,000 and 10 frames per second continuous shooting. Aluminum mag and magnesium alloy body design, which I believe is kind of standard for a lot of Nikon uh, and Canon DSLRs. It's got built-in Wi-Fi connectivity with NFC as well. All that for a cool $4,250. Ooh, now, I mean, I have mixed feelings about this. It's it's Leica, so obviously the quality of this camera is incredible, and the quality of the lens, I was going to say lenses, but I can't say that. The quality of the lens has to be incredible. Mm -hmm. But for me, for $4,200, I would say $4,300 after taxes, I don't know if I can justify buying a camera that you can't change the lens. It's a fixed focal point or fixed focal, whatever you call it. Um, it does not have 4K video, which a lot of cameras now are does have. It does have 1080p, which is great, but no 4K. I don't know. I mean, to me, that seems a bit expensive for what you're getting. Yeah, I mean, you're getting the red dot. Of Leica. Well, yeah, that, it's kind of like buying an Apple, like a you know high end, like maybe the Mac Pro. You're buying the Apple logo. Right. So I mean, it, it, if I looked around at a few reviews. Obviously, I don't have my hands on it. Um, I would love to get my hands on it because <laughs> it looks like an incredible camera. Um, the lens looks like it's incredible quality. Leica lenses, as you mentioned, usually are really, really good. So that's mm -hmm. really no surprise. Uh, the focusing looks like it's really good, really fast. Uh, I found somebody who was doing some like timing tests with the focus and it looks like it's super fast. So that contrast, uh, what was it called? Contrast detect autofocus system um, seems to do a fairly decent job. The dynamic range is very, very good. I saw somebody say something that it's virtually equivalent to the Nikon D810, which has an insane uh, dynamic range. Uh, the noise at higher ISOs looks a little questionable. I mean, noise at higher ISOs is always a little questionable. Um, but for a camera that's $4,200, $4,300, you know what I mean? Eh, I want pretty decent, you know, grain and things like that. And it looks like it's, you know, I don't know, questionable. Again, look at the reviews. Check it out for yourself. And there also appears to be a reasonable amount of moir. I always feel like I mispronounced that word. 
Mawar. I have I believe, no idea. I believe is what it's called. On I know fine, what it is. I just don't right. know how to pronounce. On it. fine, it's like bokeh. Is right. it bokeh or bokeh or boca? Right. I don't know, whatever. Well, I always I always go for mior, but I know that's wrong. So mawar, <laughs> I believe, is the correct pronunciation. Um, and that's kind of that very strange color fringing, almost like very um, fine chromatic aberrations that show up on fine patterns, fabrics, things like that. Sometimes you need somebody to change their shirt for a, a shirt for a photo uh, because you can't quite get it to go away and it's a pain in the neck to get to go away uh in post-production in in a lot of uh, instances so can i justify spending 4200 bucks 4300 bucks on the camera i mean i look at it twice you know i look back over my shoulder as i'm walking away but you know at the end of the day i can't 4200 dollars. you can do a lot with that today i mean some of these other cameras we're going to talk about you can do a lot um so no but <laughs> really really good try and you know certainly has a lot more interest from me and i'm sure a lot of other photographers than a lot of the other leicas that essentially you were just completely priced out of yeah if uh, i guess if the lens was interchangeable and i can swap out lenses for different situations oh, the, i, I would mean totally consider their it. lenses are crazy expensive too so it's not just like you can That's you know true. throw any old lens on and be like oh see i got a great deal so i honestly the interchangeable lens thing that's not even an issue with me i as a photographer I kind of like no interchangeable lens. It forces you to move around. You know, if it's not my main production camera, especially if I'm doing something like street photography, I look at that as a huge pro, not necessarily a con. But anyway, let's talk about this Sony because this is huge news. Yeah, this one excites me. I'm not too excited about the Leica because probably can't afford it. But this one, having used a Sony A7R previously, this gets me very excited. So Sony also announced that they have a new A7R Two coming out and they claim it's the world's first back illuminated 35 millimeter full frame sensor and drum roll it has 4k video which is incredibly exciting i spoke last week on our podcast about my first 4k camera which is the panasonic lumix lx 100 which is still doing okay the microphone's not that great but great quality so i'm super excited for 4k um this camera like i said world's first back illuminated full frame CMOS sensor, which shoots 42.4, cause you gotta have that 0.4 mm. megapixel photos, um, up to 102,400 ISO. So it's more than double what the Leica is shooting. And having experience with the A7R, the first one, even at super high ISO, I think I got up to like 50,000 with I mean, the noise, there was definitely noise, but it wasn't terrible. I was able to bring into Lightroom and pretty much remove all the noise and have a nice amount of detail. Of course, if you get to 102,000 ISO, you're going to ha probably have noise that you can't even do anything with. Yeah. But I don't, I don't even know any situation where you would need 102,000 or, you know, whatever. Um, but it does have 40% faster autofocus, which is nice. And like I mentioned before, it does have 4K video in multiple formats, including super 35 millimeter and full frame. But the best part of all of this, aside from, I believe you can inter you can change the lenses on this one, yes. right? Yes, yep. Yes, you can. And what's cool about the Sony cameras is you can also use with an adapter, you can use Canon lenses or Nikon lenses. So I, my Canon camera now, I can keep the lenses, sell the body, maybe and get the sony camera and it's going to be selling in august for thirty two hundred dollars so you're saving a thousand dollars from the leica 
which doesn't have interchangeable lenses. Of course, the quality is higher, but the Sony has 4K videos, uh, crazy high ISO, 42 megapixel photos if you really need that large of a photo, but it just it's packing so much more for $1,000 less. Yeah. Uh, when I saw this camera earlier today, yesterday, I don't know when it got announced. I forget now. My days blend together. I think it was yesterday. When I saw this... And I saw the price tag, which was about what I expected because that's mm-hmm. about what the market demands. Um, I actually thought it'd be about four hundred bucks more. Um, you know, you it, it, not only is it four K video, but it's full frame four K video, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Um, Forty two megapixels. This the announcement of this camera is like taking a cold wet fish and slapping it across the face of Canon about as hard as you can because <laughs> Canon just came out with the 5DS and the 5DSR the 50 megapixel flagship camera does only stills it's meant to compete with medium format cameras and Sony says all right we're not going to go 24 megapixel sensor we're going to go 42 megapixel sensor so we're 8 megapixel shy of your 50 megapixel sure well 7.8 megapixel shy um but we've got 4K video built in, which, by the way, the 5DS, 5DSR don't have. Um, full frame 4K. And, uh, I mean, a camera I – t- I talked to a, a friend of mine earlier today about this camera, a, a guy who does a video, cinema, cinematic style video, a guy that I respect a lot. He told me that the A7R and the A7S or the A7RS, I forget how they, the Sony names are broken down. I believe this is the A7S. Um, he said he's used them all. And he said, it's nearly the perfect camera. Not this one, but the ones he's used already before we've even gotten to Mark II. It's nearly the perfect camera. The only complaint he's had or heard about it is the ergonomics. Well, I don't know about you, Howard, but I'm not a uh, dainty-fingered dame of, you know, Western Britain, you know, where I'm, (laughs) I'm concerned about, you know, my fingers. If I can have the perfect camera in my hands and all I have to worry about is a little discomfort... Give me that perfect camera and give it to me now. Take this camera and take a Sigma 55 millimeter, 55 millimeter, Sigma 50 millimeter art lens for about $900. You compare that with this camera for $4,100, you will have an incredible camera. I mean, inc- unless they're when this thing hits the market, when people start testing it and it gets panned, which everything I've read about it, it hasn't been getting panned. But unless there's something that we don't know about it, for $4,100, you will have an incredible camera that can compete with virtually anything out there on both a still photo standpoint and a video standpoint. I mean, there was a Sony A7 that was used to shoot a video at night using the moon as its only light source, shooting at ridiculous high ISOs. It looks amazing. Can you see noise? Absolutely. But... It blew me away the first time I saw this video and, and first turned me on and, you know, kind of got my antennas up about Sony cameras. I first heard about Sony DSLRs from a photographer named Matthew Jordan Smith, who does a ton of celebrity photographer. He came to Philadelphia. I met him. Great guy. I have his phone number in my phone. We've talked before. Super nice guy. Has a lot of knowledge to share. Not my favorite photographer from a technical standpoint, but he used the Sony cameras. Sony sponsored him. And it was the first time, you know, when he said, I, you know, I use a Sony. Cause prior to that, I would have been like, oh, all right, Sony, that's cute. You know, they've got the cyber mm-hmm. shot, you know, whatever. And they had <laughs> such an awful reputation. And then I see this 
you know, lead photographer using the Alpha Series camera. Now, this is before the A7s. This is way back when it was like the A. I, for, I don't even know what it was called. I forget. That's how little heed I paid it. But it did make my antennas go up a little bit and say, hmm, that's interesting. Sony might be doing interesting things. I'll just keep, you know, peripheral vision. It doesn't take peripheral vision to pay attention to something like the A7S. And now the A7S2, or, or the A7R, excuse me, or the A7R2, uh, I mean, what an incredible camera. I, I was sitting here earlier today thinking, all right, here's how much I can get for this one of my Canon bodies if I sell that, and if I yep. sell that one, I can get that, and if I sell these lenses, I can buy you know two Sigma. I'm waiting for the Sigma 85mm art lens. If that was out, I would probably buy the Sigma 85mm art lens. I would get Sigma has, it's either a 24 or a 28mm art lens, and I would get the Sony a7R2 and sell all my Canon gear and be done with it. I wouldn't even go through adapters. I don't like adapters. I feel like they um, they can degrade quality and focus and things like that. I don't like them. That's true. Um, you know, but but with the with you don't even Sony's lenses are fairly expensive. Yes, there are some pretty reasonably priced ones. Their 2470 lens is only about 1200 bucks. It is f4, not f2.8. But you know, you pair you, you sit that next to Canon's, which is 2500 dollars. That's substantial. And remember the camera body that you're pairing it with insane camera like you said really really exciting i could talk about this for a long time um yeah 100 i would totally I, i'm even considering it on top of my canon that i have now but like we've mentioned in past episodes canon is just not i don't know what their deal is but they're not they're just not competing anymore they're releasing cameras that are kind of like last year's technology they're not even into the mirrorless space they have a mirrorless camera but it's absolutely garbage but to see sony release these mirrorless cameras over and over and over again and they're killing it i mean again i used the sony a7r the previous one i didn't have any issues holding it it felt fine i didn't really feel any uncomfortable aspects of it but that camera i I was considering replacing my canon camera with now that the second one is out there's no question i'm probably gonna buy it yeah yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to add to it. Sony, I would throw Nikon in there as well. Nikon has kind of hung on a little bit because of the the great sensors. Um, but, you know, where do they get their sensors from? I believe they are Sony sensors. Um, oh, I, I could be wrong about that, though. They may have switched to a proprietary Nikon sensor. I don't mm. remember. Um, but the, the Canon 5D Mark IV had better be insane, uh, insanely good to top this and to be a marketable camera. I mean, how can how do, how does Canon market the 5DS or the 5DSR? Really how? How do you mark you're selling 7.8 megapixels, right? Isn't it a 50 point something megapixel camera? Uh, you, you know, I mean, or even if it's 10 megapixels pixels higher. How do you sell that camera when you can have something that's lighter, nearly as uh, high in the megapixel department, which we all know is used to sell, 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 sell cameras. Of course. But you don't have any video options. In fact, the competitor is $400 cheaper and also does 4K, full frame 4K video. Yep. Interesting stuff. So there also is, um, in addition to the A7R2, Sony announced two more cameras that also shoot 4K video. These are stacked sensor cameras, though. Um, there is the RX10 II, uh, which is cool. That's a four. It, 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 it's a. I believe it's like an SLR style camera. Um, I actually didn't take a super close look at it. It looks SLR-ish. 
but maybe like closer to a Canon T5i kind of SLR. Mm-hmm. Um, think yeah. Nikon D7000, something like that, as far as the size and shape and everything. Um, shoots 4K video. Uh, you can pick one up for about 1300 bucks, something like that. But the camera that really gets me excited uh, as well is the Canon RX100 Mark IV or version 4, whatever they're calling it. This is going to be the point-and-shoot camera, the point-and-shoot camera. Um, it might be the best vlogging camera that's going to come out between now and the beginning of 2016 or the middle of 2016. Um, it's got the flip-out screen. It's got great Sony optics, uh, smooth, fast. The UI system is quick. It's responsive. It's everything you would want. It shoots 4K video. It even has a super slow-mo mode, which is just like, again, this guy I was talking to earlier today, this buddy of mine, he's like, you know, it's just got to be Sony just throwing it out there like, hey, look at what we can do. 960 frames per second uh, for slow motion video. That's insane. In this little camera. Now, it's it's not quite even 720p, but... That's at 960 frames. You can back it down and shoot mm-hmm. at slower frame rates as well for, I believe, higher uh, resolutions. I don't remember what the breakdown is, and I didn't write it down. All of that, and you get it for $969. So that's less than $1,000. You get this camera. I think it's the equivalent to like a 2470 lens on it, f1.8. But f1.8 on a small point-and-shoot is going to be more like, I think it's four times higher. So like an f6.3 to, I don't know what, you know, something higher than that. Um, but still ridiculous little camera i mean and just alone for the 4k video for less than a thousand dollars that's incredible yeah i mean i would like to see it i i've looked at the other sony and canon canon has i think it's the gx7 or the g7x something like that which is a great vlogging camera it's about 600 650 dollars if i recall correctly it's got the flip out screen it only does 1080p uh video uh, but really, really a cool camera. Great quality, great dynamic range, all this different stuff. Uh, but this Sony RX100 is pretty sweet looking. It does look really nice. Yeah. So that's kind of the camera news. I mean, there, 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 there's something we're going to talk about a little bit later on that has a little bit to do with cameras. Um, but really, really exciting stuff in the photography world this week. Um, and I'm glad we got to touch on all of it. So... Yeah, it's not often we get all this camera news all at once. We got the Leica and we got three Sony cameras and they weren't just like, you know, kind of small incremental updates. They were all pretty incredible updates. Yeah, like across the industry kind of ground shaking. I mean, Canon, I'm sure, had a big meeting this morning about what they're doing with, <laughs> with the 5D Mark IV. And the same for with Nikon for, you know, the D5 or whatever they're whatever they're putting out next for their, their big flagship camera. Yeah, they better have something huge up their sleeves. I have been with Canon for 10 years, which really isn't a lot if you compare me to like other like professional photographers who might have been with them for 20 or 30 years or however long they've been with them. Um, but I am very, very seriously considering switching over to Sony or somebody else if they don't have something major up their sleeves. Yeah, agreed. So what's up with WWDC? WWDC was last week. We haven't really had an opportunity to talk about it since then. Um, well, it was actually this week. It was or, this yes, Monday. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Again, days blending together. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, you're you're a little bit more of an Apple guy than I am. I do love Apple. It's not to say I don't love Apple. I absolutely love Apple. Um, but, I mean, let's talk a little bit about it. Um, what, were your, what were your thoughts, impressions? Did you like the keynote? Did you like, you know, everything? Did you like Apple family, music, music family, whatever it was called? Um, what do you think? <sighs> what do I think? Well, yeah, I, I'm definitely an Apple user. I've been using Apple for, gosh, I don't even know how long. Um, I mean, I would probably consider myself an Apple fanboy. I would. T- 
to be <laughs> you would consider me an Apple fanboy? Yeah. I, I, uh, I would say you've been using Apple for how many years? Oh gosh, as long as I can. I mean, definitely since I've started YouTube, so at least seven years. So you've been using Apple for seven years, and Apple's been using you for seven years. That's true. <laughs> I've even worked for Apple for about two years. Um, yeah. All that being said, I you know I've always looked forward to WWDC because it's always been this massive conference. Even though it's directly geared at developers, it's always been something that. Apple users have looked forward to all year because there's always some major announcement or several major announcements, sometimes new hardware, obviously new software, and it's always been great. But this year, I just was not feeling it. I didn't, you know, I was hoping there was something big, but there just wasn't, in my opinion. So let's go down the list about, over the few things that Apple did announce. The first thing they announced was the new version of OS 10, which is OS 10.11, which they're renaming. As of a few years ago, they started renaming these or naming their, their operating systems after landmarks in California. There was Mavericks mm. and then Yosemite, Yosemite. And then this year they have El Capitan, which I think is an absolutely stupid name. It's actually a mountain or a rock within Yosemite. I don't know why they couldn't have driven somewhere else to find a name, but I think it's just an absolutely stupid name. But anyways, um, and it didn't really have, I'm actually running it right now on my Mac Pro. I probably shouldn't have installed it because it's fairly buggy. It's not super buggy, but it does have bugs. Yeah, we haven't um, had any issues recording this episode of the podcast, just for anybody out there listening. Garage, oh, of course not. Garage no, Band no issues hasn't, at all. Yeah, GarageBand hasn't crashed. <laughs> Uh, there hasn't Nathaniel's going to edit out all of the issues we may or may not have had. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you're running El, Capi El Capitan. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I have not seen that, but... I've never, I haven't seen it either, but we had an old record, like an old vinyl record <laughs> when I was a kid that we would listen to, and I, I'm pretty sure the, the people on the submarine would always El Capitan. Uh, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so El Capitan... It doesn't really have major features. It's more, you know, polish on Yosemite, which was last year's release. They have, and it, it kind of bothered me that, what was his name? Craig Federini, what, Federini? I don't know what his name was. Yeah. He was demoing El Capitan, and he kept kind of making the same joke, like, oh, this is groundbreaking stuff, or this is, um, you know, revolutionary, stuff like that, obviously sarcastic, because all the things he was demoing either are already available in other operating systems like Windows, mm -hmm. or it's just nothing revolutionary. Like, he demoed a feature that you can now snap the windows that you're using to the left side of the screen. You can kind of do like a split screen, and they snap, and you can drag them back and forth. That's an incredibly good idea. That. Well, it's a great idea, but Windows have has had that for several years. I think Windows yeah. 8 may have, may have introduced that. No, I'm, run, um, I'm running Windows 7, and I literally have our recording software and your video screen split screen as we're sitting here talking. Well, there you go. So it's been in Windows for quite some time. Yeah. It's nice to see it in OS 10, but I don't think it's a feature they should have really focused on. They also focused on an, a more advanced spotlight. And one of the features that they actually didn't have in Yosemite is the ability to rem to move the spotlight window around. And you know, Craig was up there demoing this new spotlight, which is, you know, it's more advanced. You can view sports events and weather and this sort of thing. And then he started moving the spotlight window around. He's like, oh, this is revolutionary. You can now move it around. 
which is really stupid in my opinion. You should have been able to do that in Yosemite. Right. But regardless, so, you know, that those were the a few of the quote-unquote major features in Yosemite. One thing that they did announce is that Metal, which is Apple's framework for graphics and things like that, is coming to um, El Capitan, Ooh. which has been available on the iPhone, I think iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, which they say it will make graphic rendering 40 times more efficient than OpenGL reducing CPU load and improving battery life, which is great if you have a MacBook or a MacBook Pro, whatever it might be, which is really cool. And what one thing they did mention is that Adobe was one of their early partners. So they're going to be partnering up with Adobe. I think Adobe is already working on this stuff to bring the Metal Framework, or at least to use the Metal Framework in Adobe's app and apps. And this is going to be great for things like uh, After Effects or Premiere. It won't be Super helpful in Photoshop, unless you're doing a lot of 3D work. But when it comes to After Effects and rendering, I think the Metal Framework is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, no, I agree. I, that was pretty cool when I saw that stuff about speed and performance. And when it comes to, we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I know we, you and I have talked about it before. Give me speed uh, when it comes yep. to updating. I would rather Adobe update Photoshop apps if they didn't update, that was just purely the program is going to run faster. The application is going to be smoother. You're going to love it so much more because it's fast, it's quick, it's lightweight, everything like that. And that was the only update. I would love that. You don't need to give me a new, you know, blend if tool. You don't need to give <laughs> me a puppet warp, hyper drag, speed oil paint tool. You know what I mean? I don't need all the, the nicky knack, tricky tack, uh, you know, tools and, and, and you know, features and things like that speed but you need artboards well yeah (laughs) we're gonna get to (laughs) we're gonna get to that a little bit later um but of course the next thing that apple announced at wwdc is ios 9 and if you've listened to our podcast you know that i have not been happy with ios 8 it's i just found it for for an update that's already been out for about a year now it's incredibly buggy and there's some really weird UI choices that Apple, because I think, no, it was iOS 7, I think, was a completely different experience. Was it iOS 7 where they went flat? I think it was. Yeah. Um, And they tried to fix some of that with iOS 8, but they didn't get everything. So iOS 9, it looks like it's mostly, again, like El Capitan, it's a lot of polish and a few little features here or there. So let's go through some of those new features. Yeah, hit me with them. I I honestly, I don't remember them, and I haven't gone and looked through uh, a lot of these wrap-up blog posts. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll just, I'll give you kind of as close to my first impression slash reliving the keynote um, as as I can. Okay, so a few years ago, Apple introduced Passbook, which uh, they wanted to make, this was before iPhones even had NFC. They thought Passbook was be the, going to be the future of mobile payments where you can scan things on your phone that completely failed but they kept the name passbook even though even when they introduced apple pay but now they finally change it to wallet which makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. because you can have all your credit cards in there and now with ios 9 you can also have your store card so if you have a walmart or sorry a walgreens uh points card whatever they call it you can have that in passbook and when you go to pay with apple pay it'll automatically detect that it's there and then you'll be able to pay right after. So, you know, a nice feature, but nothing revolutionary. Mm. Other phones have I, had I it I never, several. never once have I opened Passbook the entire time I've had it. I've never even opened it a single time. 
It, Other than for Apple Pay, I don't really use it. Yeah, I've never. I mean, there's honest, really no I've, reason. I've never even used Apple Pay to be honest with you. It's just it, the whole system is not streamlined enough. It's the kind of thing where if I'm curious and I want to get into it and try it, I'm sure I would. Um, but I'm I'm already a guy who you know people. Hey, would you like to sign up for the Dick Sporting Goods card? No, I come here twice a year. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, do you need this card or that card? No, no, I don't need any of it. Um, yeah, I love Apple. I use it whenever I can. Um, but you know, it's not available in many places. It does work incredibly well when it's available, but I would love to use it more, but it's just not available. Um, the next thing is that newsstand, which is that app that nobody used ever on the iPhone that we all threw into a folder eventually is now becoming, Oh, is that, is that one of the apps that you couldn't delete? Yes. (laughs) So you have to shove it in a folder. Actually, when it was first released, you couldn't even put it in a folder. But I think iOS 8, revolutionary feature, you can put newsstand in a folder. Ooh, wow. Um, Think about that. But but with that came, you get a free U2 album that you're forced to download into your (laughs) iTunes library. You can never get rid of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, So newsstand has now become news. And this is actually interesting. I, I When I first heard, I was like rolling my eyes. But imagine Flipboard. Have you used the, the app Flipboard? Yes. Uh, kind of. It's sort of like Feedly, right? Wasn't Feedly something like that? Something like that, yeah. So the news app on iOS 9, which I don't think is available in the first beta, at least I don't see it on my phone, um, it's actually gorgeous. It's a beautiful news app, and it's very customizable. But what's really interesting is that Apple is al- allowing people like I think, like us, to become a publisher on this news app. So I I believe the way I understand it and the way what I've seen is that you or I can create this, you know, add our tutorials to this news app and people can subscribe to them and get them in their feed and all that stuff. And it's, you know, very streamlined. It's very clean. There's videos and animated graphics and things like that. It's probably not something I would use a lot, but it's something that, you know, I would probably open once in a while to catch up on my science news or my YouTube news or tech news or whatever it might be. So it's something more like smart bookmarks in an app. Is that a good way to think about it? Like a news aggregator based on RSS feeds um, that you've chosen to pipe into it? Yeah, it's very similar to that, but it, you know, also contains videos and very uh, interactive elements. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't much news in terms of health, um, but one thing that HealthKit is bringing to the table, which is great for our female listeners, is they'll now be able to track their cycles, which sounds strange if you're a guy listening to this, but no, it's no. actually I, I a have very have, big I have, deal. I have cycles. I have one week a month where I'm particularly irritable. and it's <laughs> sure it's only one week? <laughs> Touche. Well, you can now track that in the health app on your iPhone. Well, we will be able to in the fall. Um, going down the list again, it, it the iPhone all, now offers a low power mode. If your iPhone, your battery life hits 20%, which Android phones have had for yeah, was, uh, yeah. probably as, you know, whenever it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, the iPad has new productivity options. You're able to snap Windows side by side, very similar to how you can in El Capitan. And... Uh, what was the other one? There was another feature that was only available on one of the higher i. I think that was it actually. You can snap. You can only do it on the iPad Air two. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I got a uh, a tweet from somebody, one of our frequent listeners, Peter, who pointed me to an article on the Verge about Apple making an Android app specifically to help people switch to iOS now. So 
in the fight between Apple iOS and Android, this is kind of like a, you know, hey, look, yeah, when you're at the store wondering why you shouldn't switch from your Android to an Apple phone, well, now you really have no excuse because, you know, kind of one click, one install of the app, boom, transfer stuff over like your contacts, your messages, calendars, mail accounts, and assorted media uh, from any Android to any iPhone or iPad uh, that's running iOS 9, and it does it all wirelessly to boot, so you don't need any fancy box or any of that bizarre stuff they have at your Verizon or AT&T, T-Mobile store to port uh, your data over. So kind of like, uh, hey, Android, we're going to try to kick you in the teeth uh, with a little bit of software. The hardware still isn't quite there, but you know, software-wise, we'll at least you know make it easy for people to leave you and come to the iPhone. It's interesting, and Apple's trying so hard to bring people over from Android, and Google just seems to be innovating a lot more than Apple is. I mean, in, in iOS 9, Siri is what they call, is, it's getting proactive. And it's becoming, a lot, Siri is becoming a lot smarter and it'll be able to, you know, dig deeper into your emails to figure out uh, what exactly you're asking it. And it'll allow you to add calendar events automatically to your calendar and things like that. But compare that to Google Now or whatever the new one is called, and it just doesn't even come close. The Google mm-hmm. Now system is just so much smarter and it integrates with your applications and all this stuff and it almost seems like Apple is playing catch up and they used to be the company that releases this these software and hardware that's ahead of the game and now they're just kind of you know lagging behind yeah it is it's a very bizarre position that Apple's in it's a very bizarre um kind of public not really public relations but public perception position that they're in because Anybody who follows the company at all uh, or keeps up with news um, kind of knows that Apple's not the only game on the block anymore. And it's kind of – it's a very different feeling. So I mean starting all the way back in like 2000 – really 2001, 2002 when the iPod got huge, there was always something that was a little special about Apple. And that shine has kind of almost you know month by month uh, degraded a little bit. Uh, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit easier to make fun of Apple now than it's ever been before. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of I don't know. It's it's very very weird. Yeah, and their decisions have been very questionable over the last few years. I mean, look at Maps for example. A few years ago, they got rid of Google Maps. They broke off that relationship and they created their own Maps application on the iPhone, which at first was absolutely terrible. It was getting people lost and things were looking strange. Their flyover mode was weird. They had no transit information, which Google Maps has had for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now finally in iOS 9, they're bringing transit back and they're making this into a huge deal. You know, we're going to have transit information we're going to tell you how long it's going to take to get from point a to point b and i'm sitting there thinking okay but google has been doing this literally for like five at least five years what is going on here yeah no i actually saw somebody on twitter while the uh the keynote and everything was going on they said "Ooh, look apple maps is growing in popularity i guess that's because all the people who didn't like it finally drove off a cliff somewhere (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of funny yeah I i thought it was clever yeah so they also introduced, well, they announced a new version of the Watch OS, which is Watch OS 2. I saw that. Which has a bunch of little things, but the main thing that I like is that they will allow developers to create native watch apps, which is really cool because right now I have an Apple Watch and 
the watch, the apps on the watch have to be in range of an iPhone and it communicates over Bluetooth. So if I open up a, let's say the weather app or something, it'll, it has to ping my iPhone, grab the information from the iPhone, transfer it to the watch and then display it, which makes things so slow and laggy and half the time it crashes, the software is terrible. But now developers will be able to develop apps, install them directly on the Apple Watch, take advantage of some of the hardware on the watch so I can go for a run without my phone and it'll still be able to track everything and all that fun stuff. So that's kind of nice. That's apparently going to land in the fall, but there weren't any major updates other than that for the watch at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, going quickly down the list, uh, HomeKit can now control more of your home. You know, this, of course, is reliant on actual devices being available. So that might take some time for developers to actually make these devices. Actually, Nest, next week on the 17th, I believe, is having a press conference rumored to introduce a new security camera. I'm hoping they introduce a new thermostat, but we'll cover that next Friday. Ther- thermostats are incredibly exciting. Super pumped for that press release. <laughs> it sounds thrilling. Um <laughs> Car makers can now build their own CarPlay apps. I saw, I, not to interrupt you, but to interrupt you, yep. I saw the car app icon um, for the first time the other day. Thought it looked pretty cool. Kind of caught my attention. What is that all about? So Apple is Apple has this thing called CarPlay, which allows car manufacturers to install or how do I explain it? It allows you to run basically CarPlay on your car. So, you know, many cars now, they have these displays in it and the software is usually terrible. The software on my Mini is not the greatest, even though it's like a 2015 Mini. I'm not a big fan of the software, but Apple and Android both have car software that you can install on there. You can have all these apps like, you know, the AtBat, MLB AtBat app, Pandora. Can you play it while driving? You can. And... Previously, you had to plug in your phone in order for this thing to activate. But now, with iOS 9, or I guess the next version of CarPlay, it's now going to be wireless. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I know I know the software in my Cadillac is pretty uh, rough as well. Yeah, most car software... I actually read an interview with somebody who developed this stuff, and they said the re- one of the reasons why the software is so basic and... Uh, clunky, I guess. I don't want to say clunky, but very basic. Yeah, is because there's there, there are laws that the software has to be at a point where it's almost impossible for it to crash. So yeah. that's why it's always so basic. Right now, when when you connect your iPhone to your car, if you if your iPhone crashes, does the car shut off? I don't believe so. Yeah, I think it just kind of defaults back to the the software that comes with the car. Now, what's kind of annoying is that. In order to use CarPlay, it has to be specific cars. But in order to use CarPlay with the wireless feature, it has to be only new cars. So I think one company, I don't remember who it was. Does it say in this article? No, it doesn't. But there's one company that said they will definitely be, I think it might have been Cadillac, actually. They will definitely be creating cars with that ability, but it's only cars going forward. Gotcha. So not in reverse. Not in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Now, finally, the last thing that was announced at WWDC is Apple Music, which is a direct competitor to Spotify and Pandora and all that stuff. And it's basically, as you can imagine, a music streaming 
feature or music streaming, whatever you want to call it, you can apparently you're going to be able to stream the whole entire iTunes library um, for $10 a month. You get the first three months completely free. We've heard rumors that Apple's not at the point where they can release the whole iTunes library when it is available at the end of the month, but they want to get to that point. They have, you know, artists like Taylor Swift and all the new ones, but they can't land deals with some of the bigger companies like, I uh, think, uh, whoever owns the Beatles music. Okay. They can't, they haven't landed deals with them yet, but their plan is to get the whole entire iTunes library, millions and millions of songs available for $10 a month. Uh, no ads, and they also have features within the app that allows artists to directly connect with their fans. So they can post behind-the-scenes videos, they can post images and text and whatever it might be, and fans can interact and you know like their stuff and all that good goodness. And they also are releasing what they call the first global. 24/7 radio station called Beats One, and they've they have a bunch of DJs, and it's going to be streaming, I believe, in London, New York, and Los Angeles, I think. Okay. And it's going to be playing music that people like, and you know, the newest music and all that stuff. Sounds sounds reasonable. I uh, when I saw the stuff about Apple Music, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, is it a single user kind of thing? Um, and also. Between Apple Music, Pandora, Spotify, and Google Play, right? It's called Google Play, I believe. Um, it, I mean, you've got four different subscribable music uh, options, I guess I should say, when it comes to where you're streaming your music from. But, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like, what what do I pick? What do I go with? What <laughs> What's going to be the best option for me moving forward? I mean, I love... I love Spotify, but also kind of have a love-hate relationship with Pandora. Um, I'm not big on Google Play, or which is why I'm not. I'm kind of like iffy on the name. Um, and and iTunes. Honestly, iTunes. I hardly ever even open the iTunes app anymore. I might open it. No kidding. Once every two months. It's just not something I open. I'm not in the iTunes. I mean, the I'm in the App Store on my phone way more often than I am on my desktop. Um, now maybe that's. Partly because I'm on a, a PC, but I don't think so. You know, I mean, I know there's, I'm not connecting my phone to my computer uh, at a ridiculously high rate or anything where I would be opening iTunes to go tinkering and playing with stuff. Um, so I don't know. And, and iTunes has always felt like a really heavy app to run in the background anyway. Oh, it has been. Yeah, I, I'm, iTunes, especially now that we're podcasting, it's just, it's a very old application. They keep adding like, polish to it but i think they really need to redo the app from the ground up and maybe i don't know maybe with the introduce introduction of apple music maybe there'll be a brand new itunes that actually doesn't suck but right now it's not something i enjoy opening up yeah. but going back to what you were asking earlier is it a single user thing for ten dollars a month it is a single user thing but they also have for $15 a month, or I guess $14.99, big difference, um, you can have up to six family members on a plan, which is kind of nice. Um, so you can kind of spread that out over a bunch of family members. They kind of mentioned that a lot of people only have one account and they kind of listen. Um, they're not really supposed to share accounts, so they kind of want to open this up to a whole family for $15, mm -hmm. which isn't terrible if you have a lot of kids or something. It's not not bad. Gotcha. Okay, cool. 
So is that everything on the list? Is that the is that the rundown from WDC? That's pretty much it. Again, I was not very impressed with this year's WWDC. No hardware announcements. And to be honest, other than Apple Music, there were no major software releases this year. Gotcha. So I came across this article. I know we, I think we just talked about last week, uh, the power of Apple and sort of the way they can take a, a product where you and I were, would look at it and be like, yeah, that's not really going to be something that sells. I was a definitely a big doubter of the iPad, um, but that did really, really well. I found this article, uh, 9to5Mac.com is an article about Apple Watch sales started off with a bang, then tailed off into a whimper. And they have a list within, I mean, no kidding, within the first like hour, Apple had sold 800,000 watches. Within two hours of that hour, let's just, so let's say that's 12 a.m., right? Um, by about 4 a.m., that had dipped to what looks like on the graph roughly 30,000 watches an hour. So it tailed way off. And by within 12 hours, it looks like it was down to about 10,000 or maybe less per Apple Watches sold. Uh, I mean, to me, that doesn't sound terrible. It kind of sounds normal. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the watches are going to be sold immediately. They're going to sell out very quickly because mm -hmm. demand, there just isn't enough of them to sell. I mean, even mine, I ordered it within the first like three minutes and it was already shipping in June. So that probably pushed a lot of, pushed a lot of people off of the Apple watch and just said, you know what, I'll wait till it gets in stores. But I mean, still, if you're talking about 30 or 10,000 watches per hour, compare that to any other company selling anything. And that's still an incredible amount of product. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder what Apple, I mean, cause this article sort of making a, a, a big deal out of this and maybe it is just again, the bigness of Apple and it's an easy target to, you know, sling something at. Um, but is that enough to sustain you know what what apple's expecting to get for their first quarter or the, you know annually what they're expecting to sell and did they i didn't see them announce anything as far as number of apple watches sold um, ah that's that's an interesting point actually at the wwdc conference tim cook came on stage after their very strange introdu introduction <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to go over any stats. We're just going to jump right into the news. And then they got to the Apple Watch part, and he didn't announce anything. He didn't announce how many watches they sold, which is kind of rare. Mm -hmm. They usually bloat about how many things they've sold right. compared to other companies. And all he said was, I'm not going to I'm not going to go into like how many we've sold but we're doing really well or something like that. Right. So it was kind of strange. Yeah, cuz usually it's you know we our stock is up this much and we've sold this many millions and this many millions. See, everybody who doubted us was wrong. So it, I don't know, it, it just it just seemed weird and then seeing this article and maybe this article was partially inspired by the fact that they didn't come out and say, look, we've sold X number of million watches. I still think they've sold like well over 2 million watches at this point, which, yeah, like you said, is pretty insane for, I mean, Samsung will probably die to sell that many um, or, or any of the other smartwatch uh, manufacturers uh, for that matter. But definitely really interesting. Again, this article will be over at tutvid.com slash wegeek slash episode 18 if you want to check it out and see the breakdown. Um, they've got a few different graphics graph charts that just show, you know, April, basically April 11th, is that the day it launched, uh, how many millions of watches were sold. And then 
you know, literally within five days, it's down to so few watches being sold, and it's kind of maintained that trajectory um, from there on out. But yeah, I mean, like you said, maybe that is just totally normal. Obviously, when you first release a product, you're going to expect that big influx of who knows what, um, and then it's going to peter off a little bit. But interesting, interesting information, uh, something kind of fun to look at. Uh, yeah, interesting, but that. it definitely doesn't su surprise me. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. Back to kind of some slight photographic news. Maybe we should have touched on it before, but we got a couple little photographic things coming up. Trick, T-R-I-C, is the world's first professional flash trigger for iPhones. This is pretty cool. Uh, it, now, it's available only on the iPhone, not Android. Sorry, Android users. Um, but basically, if, if I understood this correctly, it looks like almost a hot shoe. You slide on the bottom of your speed light flash, and it connects with uh, an app on your iPhone via Bluetooth. Um, yeah. So you can trigger the flash with your iPhone. I, I've seen a few photo shoots people have done with iPhones um, that only – basically they have to use continuous lights. So they set up their lights, continuous lights, so they don't have to worry about the strobe flashing with uh, the iPhone. Um, now, shutter speed is limited to one thirtieth of a second. Uh, apparently limited by iOS. Um, the system is also X-Sync only, not TTL, which I'm kind of totally fine with. I hate TTL. I don't use ETTL, any of that junk. Give me a manual flash and give me options. I like that. Um, this means that output power needs to be controlled on the flash unit side, and we may need to try several shots to obtain the perfect exposure. Yeah, that just means you need to be a little bit of a photographer. Get used to it. Um, and again, as I said, only available on iPhones. You can support this on Kickstarter. 75 bucks will get you one of the units hopefully, um, in <laughs> December. Definitely, definitely, definitely something to look at if you're an iPhone photographer or interested in this. Um, and with the, you know, growing strength of the iPhone cameras, almost something that's feasible. I mean, something that could definitely be more than just a gimmicky thing. Absolutely. I could see fashion photographers doing this. I could see uh, young up-and-coming photographers who own a practice but don't have $3,200 to drop on a Sony A7 II um, or 1000 bucks to drop on a 5D Mark II or whatever. Um, you know, being able for, you know, a few hundred dollars or like 150 bucks to pick up a half-decent speed light and 75 bucks get this sync for your iPhone and just kind of play around with it. Really looks kind of cool. It is really interesting. I, I don't know if I would personally find myself in those situations. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess if I'm going out on a shoot, I would want more manual controls over my camera, and the iPhone just doesn't have manual controls. You know, some Samsung phones actually have a lot more manual control than the iPhone does. Maybe in future iPhones we'll have well, more. Well, I think but, there's some apps you can know. get that have some fairly decent manual controls yeah, but you can't really control the, you know, the focal length and all that stuff. It's still kind of limited. Right. Yeah, no, no. There absolutely are limitations. Um, but just kind of something that's pretty uh, – I, I thought it struck me as being pretty cool. It is interesting. And, you know, of course, being on Kickstarter, it's a little bit uh, – it kind of throws me off a little bit because of my experience on Kickstarter. But $75, not too bad. I would consider it. Um, it is shipping hopefully in December. Now – Kind of going on the Kickstarter news, you've heard me talk about, if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard me talk about Coin. Yeah, I have. My lovely experiences mm -hmm. with this all-in-one credit card thing. I have news. My Coin has shipped. I never, honestly, I never thought I'd see that day that this thing would actually ship because I was convinced after it was pushed back 17,000 times, I was convinced they were just going to can it. Now, you know, even though it has shipped, I'm going to try it out. But 
at this point, it's pretty much old technology. It doesn't have that chip and pin or chip and signature, whatever you call it, that right. all credit cards are supposed to have or will be required to have by end of next year or sometime. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'm just surprised it actually shipped. So I'm going to have it apparently within the week. Yeah, don't get your I hopes will... up. You'll get an email in like three days that it got stuck in customs and you'll have it in three and a half months. Right, then I'll get pushback again. But yeah. I'll, you know, I'll give my, uh, I'll give my thoughts on it when I actually have it in my hand. Yeah, no, that should be pretty cool. Uh, moving on, so. another kind of fun, just interesting story for a, a few reasons. Kate Middleton, the du I believe she's a duchess, not a princess, but a duchess, mm, um, shot her own royal baby portraits um, of little baby George, I believe his name is, and uh, his new younger sister named Charlotte, I believe, if my wife is correct. I wasn't even sure if it was a boy or a girl. Uh, that's how much attention I pay. Um, but anyway, she's a pretty good photographer. There are a few pretty decent photos. I mean, they're not like mind blowing, but they're also not incredibly amateurish. Um, not bad. Yeah. Well, and the thing that kind of struck me about them was. They're just kind of natural looking. They're not overly posed. You see a lot of these photos where it's like the baby in the bucket. And, <laughs> I mean I have this professional photographer magazine from – no kidding – three, four years ago. Every time I show somebody, the child on the front of the magazine looks like a frog. I don't know how else to describe them. They look so strange and it, it's just not natural looking. It's so weird. You always have them like tucked up in like this swaddling you know, tool and all this other crap. Um, but her, it's just like the two of them sitting there hanging out. They're doing their thing. Uh, and she shot it all with a 5D Mark II. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I would think the royal family could afford maybe the 5D SR or a 5D Mark III, something like that. They're on a um, budget. The queen but, is taking all the money for yeah, her right. dog or kennel. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, no, no. Nonetheless, really uh, interesting stuff and just kind of cool anytime, you know, a high-profile person picks up a camera and takes photos that aren't abysmal um, – it's kind of interesting, to, it, cool to see it and look at it, and you know, uh, the, potentially the future king of uh, Britain or England. Yeah, it's kind of you know, like you said, the photos aren't mind blowing; they're just you know, photos of her kids, which is kind of cool. But the fact that the Duchess of was it Cambridge? Cambridge I don't know yeah, what she is. I believe it is Cambridge. Cambridge. The fact that this someone part of the royal family is taking pictures and did they upload it somewhere or did, were they just like published in somewhere in magazine? Oh, or I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I don't know either. But, it, I mean, it's only a matter of time before someone like Kate Middleton gets an Instagram account to post these things. I think that's kind of cool that you, you're seeing these royal people interacting more with, the, I don't want to say interacting with the community, but they're, you know, showing their work and taking photos of their kid. They're, they're no, what I've always found interesting about Kate and um, this other guy, whatever his name is, Prince... Char William? Is it, is it Charles? William? Yeah, it's, it's William. It's either Charles, Charles is the old guy. Charles, George, or William. I can't remember. <laughs> um... What I found interesting about them is they seem like very normal people. I, I watched an interview with them. This was several years ago when they were first getting married or something. But they just seemed very normal and down to earth. They didn't seem like your typical royal couple. Of course, as they get older, they'll probably become more you know, into the family and stuff. But it's kind of neat, neat to see them doing things that you and I would do. Yeah, and I, I've heard the Queen is getting a little bit more technologically involved. She just uh, had a Twitter trend going last week. Hashtag selfies with the Queen. Well, there you go. She better do it quickly before she croaks. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get so much oh, hate that's, for that. Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. 
the the views expressed on the We Geeks podcast are solely those of the the person speaking, and not and do not reflect my employer. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, in much more exciting news, Photoshop CC may soon have art boards. Art boards. Now, if I'm going to talk a little bit about this, I can't talk too much about this because I know things that most people don't know. Um, including when Photoshop's the next one is coming out, which I can't say. <laughs> I've already said too much. Um, so yeah, Adobe did demo artboards in mm -hmm. Photoshop. And if you don't aren't familiar with artboards, if you've never used Illustrator, how do I put this? I'm, so picture you have a document in Photoshop. It's on a canvas, right? And your elements in your document, your layers and all this stuff goes within that canvas. Now, Picture the ability to have multiple canvases or multiple documents within one massive document. So you can confine elements to one canvas and you can kind of move things over to another one and you can kind of just repeat the process and you have multiple canvases and this and that. And then when you're exporting things, you can choose which canvas you want to export the elements of. So imagine that. It's really hard to explain if you've never used Illustrator or Artboards before. But it's a very interesting change that's coming to Photoshop. And I think for people who design mobile applications or websites at different sizes, I think this is going to be a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not at all a big mind-blowing, whoa, what's happening to Photoshop right. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, there's a YouTube link that I have. Again, check it out, tutfit.com slash wegeeks slash episode 18. There's a YouTube video that they put out kind of showing this feature off a little bit. I'm not. I'm kind of confused as to why they chose this feature to show off. Because while something like artboards can be really powerful, it doesn't have the sizzle and the pizzazz of like a legit feature that everybody's going to understand. Because, like you said, I think part of the difficulty with artboards is simply understanding what the heck artboards are and what in the world I'm going to use them for. Right. So, I mean that that's that. Um, if you watch it, you will gain a little bit of an understanding because basically uh, in the video he's building an iPhone app you, or just maybe a mobile app UI in general. And actually it takes a, an interesting look at smart objects too. If you're still not quite sure how smart objects work, you see a little bit of the power of smart objects as well across these multiple artboards um, as well. So I mean I would just say check out the video. It's like five minutes long. In my mind, worth the five-minute watch. Um, you'll learn a little bit more about Photoshop and maybe UI design and even just some of the power of smart objects um, and give you some ideas on how to work with smart objects um, in, in maybe a way that you're not working with them right now. Um, so, yeah, no, just kind of interesting. Um, and, again, you can check it out on the blog post and, and see a little bit more on the way of details. Totally. And look out for the update at some point in the future. Yeah, that too. <laughs> So that's all we have for the news. We do have two questions, actually. We got one question in right before we started the podcast. Um, one of the questions actually came in earlier today from someone that follows me on Twitter, Majd, Majd, I, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce your name. Um, he wants me to talk a little bit about Hearthstone. And um, I guess because he follows me on Twitter, he knows that I am a Hearthstone player. There's, I mean, it's not really relevant to what we talk about here on the We Geeks podcast, but a it is a geeky a, thing. Yeah, a Hearthstone freak, I would say. Oh, yeah, to an extent. Yeah, I do play Hearthstone quite a bit. It is a game from Blizzard, and Blizzard has many games, you know, World of Warcraft, Diablo. They're coming out with um, Overwatch in the fall. Um, and it, basically, Hearthstone is a card game, 
basically a trading card game where you can battle against other people. It's based in the World of Warcraft universe. If you're familiar with Magic the Gathering or the Pokemon card games, it's very similar to that where you can collect the cards and then each card has different properties. You can play against other people. But, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what he wants to know when he says talk about Hearthstone. Um, I'm definitely addicted to Hearthstone. I think... It's an interesting game that Blizzard's working on, and they're coming out with new expansions all the time, and there's a new game mode coming out probably next week. But, you know, I, there's not much else if, I can say. If we I, don't, were, I don't know what he wants to know. If we were shooting uh, the podcast with video, you could see that Howard has a Blizzard pillow just like half in frame, half out of frame over I on did, the right. That's actually side. a Hearthstone. Where is it? There it right, is. Yeah, yeah, somewhere over there. <laughs> there we go. I can't yeah. even navigate backwards. Yeah, uh, but that means nothing to you guys because you're listening, and I can see what he's doing. Um, no, when I first saw this question, I thought you got a new fireplace or something. I didn't really know. Oh, what I need was going a fireplace. On. Actually, yeah. we got it. We bought a home in Colorado with no fireplace, which is crazy. But yeah. anyway, well, hey, what are you going to do? The so the other question is, and this was directly to you, Howard, on Twitter by James Lex at James Lex. How important is it to know Illustrator when you already know Photoshop very well? Well, this is an interesting question, James. Uh, Lex. James Lex, which you know, Artboards is now coming to Photoshop, so it would have helped tremendously if you knew Illustrator previously. Um, I guess it really depends on what you want to do, what your goal is. If your goal is to design vector graphics and brochures and logos and things like that, I think Illustrator is the way to go. You can definitely do some of that stuff in Photoshop. I wouldn't recommend it if you have Illustrator at your disposal, but I would, you know, recommend Photoshop for photo composition. It's a little bit of photo retouching, healing and things like that. Um, but it does seem that Adobe is kind of very slowly merging the two applications together. I don't think we'll ever get to that point, but you know, with the introduction of artboards in Photoshop, which is which has been you know um, the main way of organizing your documents in Illustrator previously, we may get to that point. We may see more Illustrator features coming over to Photoshop, but I think right now they're two very different applications and they serve very different purposes. Yeah, think of Photoshop as a pixel pushing app. Mm -hmm. and Illustrator as a drawing and shape-based application. Yep. Incredible things you can do with both of them, um, but they each have very uh, distinct purposes right now. But yeah, much like you, I almost feel like they're slowly being kind of melded together into one app. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would really work. Um, just now because that they're part of the creative cloud, or all the applications are part of the creative cloud, they could probably pull it off, but there's so many features. It would right. almost, you know, it, it to me, it would be such a daunting task. They would almost have to have like a switch in in the application, whatever they call it, to switch over to a vector mode and then switch over back to a pixel mode. But to wrap things up, if you have any desire of enlarging images or enlarging your work and not ruining and not pixelating things, then use Illustrator. If yeah. you're just you know doing photo work, stick to Photoshop. Yeah, but I mean, with that being said, there still are vector options in Photoshop, path-based stuff that Photoshop has gotten better right, and better there with. Is. But there, yeah, I mean, there's an incredible uh, number of features and things you can do uh, in Illustrator that you just can't do in Photoshop. In fact, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's its own application. It's 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 difficult to just 
split the two apart and say, here's what the one does, here's what the other one does. If you have Creative Cloud, download it, try it out, watch some tutorials, do some stuff uh, in it. You're not going to be editing photos, but you know, try to make a logo or um, draw an icon or something like that. Um, it tends to be much better as far as grid-based um, intricate layout, detail-oriented graphics, photorealistic illustrations, things like that. Um, and of course, it's all true path-based vectors that you're drawing with. So yeah, I don't know. That's what I would say. Um, download it, try it out, watch some tutorials, give it like a 30-day test drive, um, and really take an honest look at it. And, you know, I mean, it's not a one versus the other in my mind. It's a one, one A and one B. Totally. Yeah. So... That'll just about wrap up the questions and the news for the week. We still have our quick six of the week, and we have our winners and losers of the week. This week, Howard, it is my turn to grill you with six this or that options. Um, So let's just jump right into it. First, running or swimming, and why? Uh, Well, this is an interesting question for me. I I love running, but with my heart condition, I find it very difficult. now, in terms of swimming, uh, I don't like water, especially, I mean, I don't mind water, but I don't like cold water, mm-hmm. and I'm not the greatest swimmer. It's never been something I really did. I would say my answer would be running. Okay. Um, hopefully, I'm on a new heart medication. I haven't ran since then, but hopefully I can do it now. Gotcha. Okay, so we got running. Uh, number two, unsharp mask or smart sharpen? Uh, previously, I would have said unsharp mask, but in the latest version of Photoshop, Smart Sharpen, I think, is much smarter. <laughs> okay. Uh, beach or mountains for vacation? I go with mountains. You know, I've lived in both places. I've lived in Florida for about five years. And, you know, when you first move there, you go to the beach all the time, of course. Um, but as time went on, we w- mainly went to the beach when we had visitors. And it wasn't, you know, whatever. But now that I'm living in Colorado, I can literally look outside my window and see the mountains, oh, which I think so is so jealous. Yeah, I love the mountains. Uh, iPad or Apple Watch if you had to choose one? Ooh, this is interesting. I mean, you can obviously do a lot more on the iPad, but it's... uh, I'm going to say iPad. Okay. Uh, Would you rather be the CEO of Twitter, talking about the Twitter CEO just stepping in, or the the CEO (laughs) of Instagram? If you had to hit your wagon to one social network out of those two, Twitter CEO or Instagram CEO? Ooh. Interesting. Uh, I'd probably, wow, I'd probably go with Twitter because there's so much more potential. And, you know, Twitter could technically build an Instagram uh, competitor. Uh, Yeah, let's go with Twitter. Twitter. All right. Uh, And then this one, just because I just saw news about this Game of Thrones or Orange is the New Black? Ooh. uh, I love both shows. They're very different shows. I know, I know. I follow you on social media. I know, I know (laughs) you love both shows. I'm I'm about to watch uh, Orange is the New Black season three after this podcast. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Game of Thrones. I think it's such a such a deep show with such a crazy storyline, and it just keeps getting better and better. Gotcha. Okay, so all that will just about wrap up this week's Quick Six. Grillin' Howard. I will be back next week with my quick six for Nathaniel. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so winners and losers of the week. You want me to go first or you, you want go to go for first? It. Go All right, it. my winner of the week, and this one is one that, based on the circumstance, just hit me and hit me good. Um, we had a Triple Crown winner uh, this week, 
at the, the or last week, end of last week, the Belmont Stakes, American Pharaoh won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes, which makes him the first Triple Crown winner in a long time. I think something like 38 years. That's not my winner of the week, though. That's oh. just an impressive feat. I do. As a quick side note, do horse ra- like race horses? They have the coolest names. Like if you, uh, California Chrome, I'll have another uh, American Pharaoh. Like it's, I don't know. There's something about the name of a racehorse that's always it always seems cool. I don't know what I it is. I think Apple should start naming OS 10 after racehorses. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are so many cool names. Anyway, the jockey who rode American Pharaoh took his $80,000 winning. Now, typically, he donates 10% of his income to uh, a foundation that does pediatric cancer research. He took his entire $80,000 purse winnings from the Belmont Stakes and gave it all to this pediatric cancer uh, research foundation, which I have a nephew who's going through some pediatric brain cancer stuff right now. Uh, So to see something like that was um, really, really cool on a a very personal level and and a very, you know, because of the circumstances and everything that's going on, um, to see something like that was just like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. I know it's it's only $80,000, but... You know, I'm saying that relative to sports terms, but when it's a hundred percent of your winnings, it could be a hundred million dollars. Fact is, it's a hundred percent of what you had. Um, so mm-hmm. to see something like that, incredibly cool. Like words can't even to uh, frame what I'm trying to say. And the loser of the week would be the U.S. government because they got hacked and they said every current and and retired. Yep. Federal employee has the risk of their information being stolen by who knows who, who knows where, who knows when. So big ups to our government for having the most secure servers, the most secure data protection. What the heck are we doing? How else can we drop the ball? We've screwed up everything now. I'm pretty sure we've screwed everything that we can screw up. We've screwed it all up. I think just the whole government, both sides of the aisle, is just absolutely crazy. And what bothers me more about this is right after the hacking or whenever it occurred, right after all this news came out, um, they tried to pass this cybersecurity bill to tighten things up. And, of course, one side tried to put this cybersecurity bill into a much bigger bill, which the other side denied. And it's like at this point... When you're dealing with the fact that every single federal employee has just gotten their information taken by who knows who, like you said, just do the right thing, release this bill as a single cybersecurity bill, and get it to the president so they can sign it and start fixing this mess. Start, forget politics right now, just get this thing done. Yeah, what makes you think they can fix it, though? It seems like everything they touch, well, they, they can't. foul. They probably can't. But the, the point is they, they need to start focusing on things that actually matter and not trying to, like, trick the other side, whether it's Republican or Democrat, into passing a bill without, you know, by slipping things into much bigger bills. It's really annoying. Right, or focusing on the next country that we're going to conquest, bomb, and invade. <laughs> oh, gosh. This whole country's going to... Anyways, um, so my winners and losers of the week. Now, my winner is kind of a winner and loser because there are two sides to this, and it's actually Reddit. Um, Reddit has subreddits, which is basically like forums within Reddit, and you can submit news to these subreddits, and you can upvote or downvote and comment, and some of them are very controversial. And in the past, they've had subreddits like that are that are specific to hating people based on who they are, like fat people or whatever it might be. And fat, they have fat shaming, 
fat shaming, yes, they ha they've had subreddits specific for people to go and hate on fat people, which I think is disgusting. Um, now, Reddit has come out and banned these sorts of subreddits. Now, it brings up the question, are they, are they censoring the internet and are they blocking the First Amendment and, you know, freedom of speech and all that stuff? Or are they protecting people? And it, it, it's very difficult. I mean, I'm kind of leaning towards I like this move because people have been personally attacked on these subreddits and, you know, people have committed suicide after being bullied so much and it's to an extent helping these people, but at the same time, it is to an extent censorship. So I'm torn, but I am leaning towards it's a good thing that they're protecting people who, you know, have disabilities or are overweight or whatever it might be. Right. Freedom of speech is freedom of speech, but freedom of speech does not extend to the point where you're slandering. I mean, slander is still a crime um, right. or attacking somebody in any kind of unjustified manner. Because, um, I mean, certainly you think about the terrible things that are said, uh, like in political campaigns, but that's something where you're acknowledging that you're opening yourself up to that. That's kind of an understood thing when you get into it. Um, if you, you know, I mean, just think about it. Would it be okay for me to create a, like a, a series of videos, like why I hate Howard Pinsky, um, and just you know level all this stuff where I'm just talking about you and your wife and your mom and blah 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 blah. No, like I mean, not it crosses the realm of not only being not cool, but definitely something where I would I would I would be absolutely shocked if there wasn't serious legal action that could be taken. So no, I don't think it's I don't think it's censorship in that form, but I mean, yeah, maybe maybe it could be taken that way. Could be. So then my loser of the week is actually where's my story? The whole state of Wyoming. Ooh. Why <laughs> um, is that? Kind of kind of going off the whole talk about bills and and uh, you know, passing bills and things like that. So passed by the Wyoming state government and signed into law by Governor Matt Mead in March. The law makes it illegal to, quote, collect resource data from any land outside city boundaries. Now, it doesn't sound that exciting when you're first hearing about it. Oh, I've heard about this. I've heard about this. I know where mm, you're going. Keep going. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, on, on the, on the, what do I call on the, it? On the face, at first glance. On the face, <laughs> you, you think, okay, well, you just can't, like, collect, you know, resource. You can't go somewhere and, you know scoop up swamp swamps and take it back for research and things like that. But the way this bill is written, it's written in such a way that it actually bans you and makes it illegal for you to take pictures of certain parts of the state. So if you are at, I don't remember what the, um, the mountain is called, but there's a mountain in Wyoming. The Tetons? Maybe it's Yellowstone. Is it Devil, Yellowstone, Devil's maybe? Tower? Is it the, Teton, the Grand like Tetons? Those are both kind of... But if you're out, out there taking pictures, you're just like some old person taking pictures of some mountains or some beautiful or, or, things. Or young person. Don't elderly young, shame. Fine, whatever. Don't, don't elderly shame. If you, Nathaniel Dotson, <laughs> is out there taking pictures and you happen to take a picture of a dirty swamp, by the language of this bill, that is illegal. Oh. And could result in fines up to $5,000 and up to a year in prison. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, they did. Um, I'm sure this is not what they really meant by this bill. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But that's the way this real is, bill is written. And there's really nothing explaining this you know, this loophole, I guess you can say. They're probably not going to really take action. At least I hope they're not. But, you know, technically... 
by this bill, it is illegal to take pictures of like swamps and dirty things and things that might not be clean in Wyoming. That's yeah, that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's <laughs> although you know what, Wyoming is one of the coolest states I've ever been to. I keep telling my wife we need to go out there and visit it. It's I, I can't even describe it. I mean, you're in Colorado, so you know a little bit of like that big air feeling, you know, like the big sky state. Isn't Colorado called the big sky state? I can't remember which state is called the big sky state. No, this one's the colorful state. Oh, okay. Well, that too. Um, but I, it's just it's everything's so big and open. The the bigness is huge. I don't I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's it's a very you know the the sky is so dark at night. There's always a little bit of like ambient reflected light where I live in this northeastern corridor um but it's so neat it's so open so clean so there's always the risk of a grizzly bear attacking you there's just it's just incredible yeah and you know it's it's crazy to see these bills actually get passed and things like this i mean again it's probably not something they would enforce i mean in florida there is a there's a law that two people cannot live together if they're not married so an unmarried couple cannot live together in florida it's technically illegal what about like i mean brother and sister well it's florida it's florida they're supposed to be married as well (laughs) (laughs) um but of course that isn't enforced so who knows if these this law will actually be enforced in wyoming but it's fix this please yeah yeah no, I, I tend to agree. Well, that's about it. We've we've been talking for a long time. This might be we're our at longest. about an hour, and we we have to edit out this, a little bit of yeah. technical difficulties. But it's about an hour and a half. This is yeah. crazy. This might be our longest podcast. Yeah. We know what we need to do. We need to uh, do another sort of story concept feature based tutorial. We did the one on ten steps to becoming a better designer. We need to figure out what we're doing next. Ten steps to something or why we do this or business that or YouTube this or whatever. Something like that might be pretty cool. Um, I think so. If you, if you're if there's actually listeners at this point in the podcast, tweet at us um, at Iceflow Studios at Tutvid with the hashtag We Geeks. What you'd like to see in another episode, a future episode that's very specific yeah, to there's, a certain yeah, topic. Yeah, a topic that we do an entire episode about because we kind of actually really want to get to the point where we're almost doing a news episode and then a topic-based episode or maybe one topic-based episode a month, something like that where we're doing a little bit more frequently. Um, something like that could be really cool. I think so. Yeah. So let us know what you uh, what feedback you have for the podcast, what you'd like to see us talk about. If we're way too long at an hour and 30 minutes, let us know. Leave reviews on iTunes. Comment along on SoundCloud. Check out our YouTube channels. We're doing weekly videos now that are sort of like out of the side of our mouths promoting the podcast as well, but also talking about either news-related stuff or just, I don't know, anything uh, that we kind of like on YouTube. Uh, or not on YouTube, anything that we like in the tech news, I guess. Yeah, um, and I have more Photoshop tutorials coming very, very soon. Yeah, well, as always, more, more tutorials in general. Uh, but yeah, that'll about wrap up episode number 18. We've been doing this for a long time now. Only 18 episodes in, though. Imagine when we hit like episode 100. It'll be. We're going to get there. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be good. So that is it for this one. If you stuck around and listened for this long, wow, thank you so much. And what we should do, we should give like a keyword at the end of the episode so people can tweet at us and we can retweet it or interact with them. Um, let's say the keyword is... Uh, Hearthstone. Hearthstone. Tweet at us with the hashtag WeGeeksHearthstone. Include it in a sentence or something and we'll like it or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll send you a video or something. I don't know. 
a Twitter video, a Twitter video response. Oh, That'd maybe we perfect. could. We can do that. Be perfect. All right. That's it for this one, guys. Thank you so much, and we'll see you later. I'm out. See you next week.